Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. So for the past few weeks, we've been asking this question, what's on your mind? And the reason that we're asking the question is it, it, it's time that we start having uh, a meaningful conversation uh, about mental health, because it's part of our lives, and, and especially after what the last couple of years have been and what all has transpired during that time, uh, there's really not a doubt that all of us who are here in, in some way, shape, or form have been surrounded by or have been dealing with some mental health issues or mental health struggles, and we want to talk about those struggles in a safe place where it's okay to not be okay, okay, where it is a, a place and an environment where there's no shame and there's no judgment here about this, this, these particular topics as we talk about them. And, and as I say that, um, I want to make it clear, I, I believe in counseling, I believe in therapy, I believe in medical uh, help that can come your way for mental health issues in the same way that I believe in those things for physical health issues. But, but here's the, the, the part of this that's also true, is that I also believe that there is a spiritual component to all of our mental health stuff. And to find answers to that, that spiritual component to our mental health, we need the help that can only come from Jesus. Now right here at First Christian, we have a vision that says that we wanna lead people closer to Jesus. That everything we're about is leading people closer to Jesus. And there's really no series that kind of points to that more clearly than this one, where we're talking about stuff that we're all dealing with, and yet what we wanna do, we wanna constantly bring it all back to Jesus and the fact that Jesus can help us through and will help us through and really is the only help through our mental health stuff. And so, in answer to the question, what's on your mind? Uh, one of the answers that we've heard so far is I'm sad and we worked on that. And, and then last week we talked about the answer I'm mad. Well today uh, I wanna answer a question or, or give an answer to this question that is a little more all-encompassing. I, I think one that is probably more consistent with all of us and what all of us have felt or are feeling even right now. And the answer to the question, what's on your mind, might very well be, I'm scared. And when you look at um, illness and you look at the state of our country or of our world and you think about the uh, racial division that exists and you think about the political temperature that is all around us and you think about riots and, and mass shootings and viruses and new versions of viruses and vaccines and all those kinds of things that have all kind of gone together to leave us in this place where the only response we have when we look around and when we read through social media and when we hear what's on the news is we find ourselves kind of saying, maybe not out loud, but certainly to ourselves, I'm scared. And when we say I'm scared, what we're actually kind of saying, whether we want to give it this clinical term or not, because somehow we think this is worse, what we're dealing with is anxiety. Okay, when we say I'm scared, what we mean is I have anxiety over all these things. Now, sometimes when people hear that term anxiety, they think that anxiety is the same thing as fear. Okay, that, that fear and anxiety are exactly the same. Now, there are a lot of things that are similar about anxiety and fear, but there are also a lot of things that are different about anxiety and fear. Okay, so let's talk about fear for a second. What, what does fear do? Fear sees a threat 
and reacts, okay? Fear, you may have heard the term healthy fear, that you need to have a healthy fear about that. That's a great definition, because fear is actually a good thing. Fear is something that when we experience fear, it causes a reaction in us, and we move according to that fear. So when you see a rattlesnake, and the rattlesnake's in the middle of the road, you decide that because you see the rattlesnake and you're afraid of what that rattlesnake could do, you're gonna run, okay? That's fear causing a reaction because of what you see. When you see a bear, you run. That's a smart move. That's fear causing a reaction in you. And most people handle that fear the right way. Sometimes that fear happens and it doesn't cause the correct reaction. Let me introduce you to some friends of mine. These are some people that are friends of yours too. Some of them are sitting in this room. There are bears at their cabin. The correct response when you see a bear is not to sit at the picnic table with the bear. That is not the reaction that fear is supposed to bring. Fear brings a reaction to move. Now, anxiety is different though. Anxiety does something else. Here's what anxiety does. Anxiety imagines a threat and then can't move. Okay? Anxiety imagines, doesn't see, imagines, thinks about, uh, casts forward into the future, imagines a threat that's out there and then can't move on from it. That's what anxiety does. And, And when it comes to anxiety, Anxiety has been described as a tidal wave of what-ifs that just kind of flood our minds and rush over our lives. What if? What if I step into this grass and there is a rattlesnake in there? And anxiety that that puts that what-if in our head might even go so far as to convince us to never go into grass again. What if there's a bear If there's a bear, I'm not going into the woods ever again. What if the plane crashes, okay? If that thought goes through our head and it gets stuck in our head, then we're never gonna fly again because those what ifs cause us to be unable to move on. And so we say things like, what if if I get sick? Or what if my kids get sick? Or what if the market crashes? Or what if my marriage falls apart? Or what if I never get married? And we start to kind of spiral on all of these what ifs. And the what ifs that happen kind of continue to go. What if my kid has crooked teeth? And what if I don't make enough money that I can pay for braces to fix my kid's crooked teeth? And then we start to string them together, okay? And we start to say things like, what if I have a kid that's got crooked teeth? And what if I don't make enough money to pay for the braces to fix my kid's crooked teeth? And what if because I couldn't fix my kid's crooked teeth with the braces, my kid is just never attractive to anyone and never gets married? And because of that, what if I never get grandkids? Your kid is still in diapers and you've already decided you're not getting grandkids. That's what what ifs do to us. They spiral and they spiral and they spiral. Fear is temporary. Fear is temporary because it causes us to move. But anxiety lingers. Your body feels really tight and everything kind of tenses up. You get to some seasons where it's hard to kind of catch a breath sometimes. And I don't know if you've had this, but we, we can sometimes have seasons of life where uh, we wake up for like, from like two to four every night. 
And when we wake up, we start thinking about something over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't know if you've had this one. I've had this one where I wake up consistently every night at roughly the exact same time. And I don't mean around two, but that I wake up at like 2.17. And there's enough of those nights that happen in a row that before I ever even look at the clock, I can bet you that I'm within two minutes of 2.17. That's anxiety. That's anxiety. And our minds start to spiral and you wake up with the series of what ifs. And it doesn't mean that you lack confidence and it doesn't mean that you're unstable and it doesn't mean that you lack faith. I need you to listen to me on this. If you have anxiety, you are normal. If you have anxiety, you are human. Now today, I want to look at maybe the most underlined and highlighted verse in any of the Bibles in this room, and I want us to see some insight to anxiety. But before we get there, I, I want to kind of give a backstory to what we're about to read because we need to know the context from which these words were written, what the mental and emotional and physical context for these words are. These are words that are written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul doesn't write the words that we're about to look at from a palace. Okay, and he doesn't write these words from the, the, the beach at Maui. He writes these words from a prison cell. And he writes these words from a prison cell where he is awaiting his own execution. Because he realizes he has probably reached the end. This is probably that time and that place where he's going to be dragged off and have his head cut off because he preached about Jesus. And it is the worst looking, smelling, sounding, feeling place that you can possibly imagine. And it's from that place and from that environment and with those thoughts that Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, grammatically speaking, Paul wrote this particular phrase in the present active tense. And I know that makes it feel like we're back in English class and you're getting ready to diagram a sentence, okay? Hang with me because this has meaning. The fact that he wrote it this way means something. Because what he's not saying is, he's not saying, look, if your heart races faster sometimes, then you're not a real Christian. He's not saying, if you get anxious about something, your faith isn't strong enough. That is not his point. What this command is not is, don't ever be anxious about anything. Now, this command says, don't live in a perpetual state of anxiety. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And even Jesus experienced momentary 
anxiety. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He's praying, and he's praying about what's about to happen. He's praying about what's just hours away, and, and it says that drops of blood fell from his forehead because of the anxiety he was feeling about what was just ahead. All of us are going to experience anxiety. What Paul is helping us do, what Paul is wanting us to learn, is how to not stay anxious. And so for the rest of the time that we have, and, and, and we're going to move pretty quickly, I want to look around this phrase from Paul, okay, that he has in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. I want to look at the verses that are before it and the verses that are after it, and I think that Paul is laying out a map for us to move from anxiety to peace, okay? He's not giving us a method to never have anxiety. What he's giving us is a method to, when we have anxiety, move from anxiety to peace, For instance, Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse four, just a couple of verses before that, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, so we're clear, he is not calling for us to just rejoice when we have really bad things happen in life. When life is falling apart, don't rejoice and say, man, I sure am glad my life is falling apart because that's when I'm really supposed to rejoice about God. No, he doesn't say, look, your marriage is falling apart. You should cheer for that because rejoice in the Lord that you are having that kind of horrible existence in your life. This is not a mantra that Paul is trying to get you to say. It's not putting on a brave face and pretending like things are good. Okay, notice, Paul is not saying rejoice in your anxiety. He says rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the one worth rejoicing over. And what Paul is reminding us is that our belief precedes our behavior. If anxiety is out of control in your life, Paul is wanting to remind you what it is that you believe about God Because what you specifically believe about God determines how you behave and how you deal with anxiety. Do you remember that moment that happens for parents and and kids? And maybe you've been on the parent side of this, or maybe you've been on the kid side of this, or maybe you've been on both sides. It's that moment that, that has to do with jumping into the water for the very first time and your kids are standing on the edge of the pool and you're wanting them to jump or they're standing on the dock and you're wanting them to jump in the lake and, and they, they are hesitant to do so, okay? They are on the edge and they have that thing where somebody nailed their feet to it and their, their knees go but none of the rest of them goes, you know, that move that they're making. And the reason that they can't go is the unknown, okay? There is unknown about the water. There is unknown about what's in the water. There's also unknown about how the water is going to feel when they smack it. There's also unknown about what's going to happen to them once they get into the water. Are they going to sink to the bottom and die? Are they going to drown in the water? Is the water going to go up their nose? Are they going to choke on the water? They have all kinds of unknown, and it's the unknown that's keeping them from jumping, and that's anxiety. But the unknown is also met by the known. Because the known is the parent that's in the water, that's looking up, and and you've maybe been in this role, where you're standing in the pool, or you're treading water in the lake, and you're looking up, and you're just saying over and over again, jump, 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 jump. And you're saying, I'm going to catch you, I promise, trust me, just jump. 
And the only way that they get through it, the only way that they leave the edge of the pool, the only way that they leave that dock, is when what they know outweighs the unknown. When what they believe about their parent outweighs what they don't know about the water. And belief precedes behavior. The same thing happens for us when it comes to the anxiety that we're feeling. What we believe about God, what we really believe, okay, not what we believe just in this room when we're surrounded by people who believe things as well, but when it's just us, what we really believe about God impacts our ability to overcome and overwhelm our anxiety. And so there's two really big ideas that I want to um, share with us before we're done uh, about moving from anxiety to peace. Here's the first one. Peace is found between the pillars of God's goodness and God's control. And when I stand here, it's not that I am never going to be anxious. And it's not that I am never going to feel anxiety in my life. But when I stand here, that anxiety moves on because of what I believe. Because belief precedes behavior. And as long as I can trust here in the safe zone that I believe and I trust in God's goodness and I trust that God is in control, even when it feels out of control to me, if I trust in his goodness and I trust in his control, I feel safe right here and I will eventually move from anxiety to peace. But here's what happens for lots of us. We step away from that. And for all kinds of different reasons, we say to ourselves that we're just not sure about God's goodness. There have been some moments where we've questioned his goodness and we've questioned whether he really is good. Or maybe it's the control thing and we've wondered as we've looked around at our world or we've looked around at something that's happened in our family or something that's happened in a relationship and it just feels like we're not sure if God really is in control. Or maybe it's both of those things. And we find ourselves stepping outside of that safe zone. And when that happens, anxiety enters our life and it doesn't leave. And it stays with us. Because we're not sure about God's goodness and we're not sure about God's control. But the struggle is different for each of us. Because there's some of us here who have been through heartache and some of us here who are still dealing with broken hearts, and some of us here who have uh, battled illness and battled loss to the point that we fundamentally wrestle with the question, is God good? And is God really in control? But we gotta deal with this stuff. Now, I, I, have, I have struggled with some pretty anxious moments 
in my life and I have struggled with some pretty anxious moments recently and those moments brought in anguish and they brought on frustration and, and they brought on moments of despair and they certainly brought on some sleepless nights and some places and some times when it was really hard to breathe. And they were real moments of anxiety. But they were temporary. And they were temporary because I believe in the goodness of God. And I believe that God is in control. And even if I can't feel it right now, I have a belief that God is good and I have a belief that God's control is real and because I believe, belief precedes behavior. Let me, let me show you what Paul's trying to kind of teach us here. Paul's writing from death row and Paul's saying, look, I, I know that there is anxiousness that happens, but he knew that what you are anxious about the most probably reveals where you trust God the least. And so to help your anxiety, rather than seek control of everything, and rather than move parts around and, and, and decide, well, what if I put this over here and this over here, and I'll stop doing this, and I'll start doing this so that I can get a hold of the reins again, and I can start grabbing hold of control. Instead of doing that, God would rather you relinquish control and let him drive. Look at verse five with me. It's right before Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Paul says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. Okay, gentleness is part of the fruit of the spirit. It's part of what's supposed to flow out of us so other people can see. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is what? The Lord is near. There's some of us who are not sure that we agree with this last part. There's some of us who have gone through stuff to the point that we're not sure that God is near. And in the darkest days and the longest nights, we're wondering whether God can still work something out for the good like he says he will. But you see, the story's not over. We're caught in the moment. Anxiety is a moment. The story is longer than the moment. The Bible shows us that over and over again. Take the life of Joseph, okay? The, Joseph has a moment of anxiety. In fact, it's a series of moments of anxiety. He gets thrown into a cistern by his brothers who don't like him. They wanna get rid of him, so while they're deciding what to do, they throw him down a well. Then they pull him out of the well and they sell him into slavery, and Joseph watches the only home he has ever known in his whole life as a teenager disappear into the distance over the horizon as he is being led away in a slave caravan surrounded by strangers. That is a moment of anxiety. But it's not the only moment of anxiety that Joseph would feel in his life. But then two decades later, again, long story, two decades later, Joseph finds himself in the second most powerful seat in all of Egypt, and Egypt's the most powerful country in the nation at the time, so in reality, he is the second most powerful man in the whole world, and his brothers, who betrayed him, who hated him, who sold him into slavery, appear before him, and they're begging him for help. And 
where we might see an opportunity for revenge and we might think that Joseph is gonna step forward and avenge what's happened to him. Instead, Joseph says, what you intended for evil, what you were trying to do to harm me, my God intended for good. Because Joseph stood in the safe place where he trusted in the goodness of God and that God was in control. Jesus died on a cross. And there were people who had been following Jesus, who believed in Jesus, who, who thought Jesus was the one who was gonna restore order to the world, who, who believed that he was the Messiah, and yet they killed him on a cross. And when Jesus died on a cross, it is as if all hope just left the world. But it wasn't two decades later, still a long story for those three days. But three days later, God radically changed Jesus' story for the good, for Jesus, but not just for Jesus, but for all of mankind. When grace and forgiveness and mercy became available to us because of the resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just the stories of Scripture that show us God's goodness over time. I bet that if you were to go back in your own life and you were to kind of look at those moments of anxiety that you've had before, moments where you didn't know what you were gonna do, there are plenty of moments where now long story included, you could recognize the goodness of God. You didn't identify it at the time, but looking back in this perspective, the goodness of God is there, and my, my contention is that God's goodness has a far better track record in your life than you've been giving him credit for. When I look back at, at my life, I can admit that I am not always great at standing here. I am not always great when the moment of anxiety comes of just standing right here and looking to my right and saying, yep, I trust in the goodness of God, I trust in the control of God, I'm good, anxiety out. I'm not always good at standing there initially, but God helps me get here because I do trust that he is good and that he is in control and when he's reminding me of that, I am moved from anxiety to peace. Now. Here's the second big idea for moving from anxiety to peace. And that is that peace is activated when our prayers move from general to specific. Okay, let me repeat that. Peace is activated when our prayers move from general to specific. Again, Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Okay, these are the verses immediately after, do not be anxious about anything. He says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, here's the question. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. When you feel anxious, is God the first person that you go to for help? Or is it someone else? Or is it something else? Because a lot of times when we 
have this anxiety moment. We just don't want to deal with the anxiety. We want the anxiety to go away. And so we turn to something else that's not necessarily going to fix the anxiety. It's just going to cover up the anxiety for a while. And so we turn to alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography. All of that stuff happens simply because we're trying to kind of remove the anxiety that we're in. We're trying to put it on the shelf for a little while. But for many of us, there are lots of times in life, and it's certainly true for me, where prayer is not the first thing that we think to do when we're experiencing anxiety. It's more like our last line of defense that we come up with at the very end of things. And some of you have given up on prayer, or given up on prayer in terms of this whole anxiety thing because it just doesn't seem to be working and, and what's worse is you don't see any change, and so you, you've kind of given up on it, but then you're surrounded by other people who are Christians who are telling you, well, you just need to pray harder. And people who are telling you, um, you just need to have more faith, and you're kind of sick of it. You're kind of sick of hearing it because you feel like you have done that, and you have made those changes, and you've tried to pray harder, and you've tried to have more faith, and nothing has happened. And it's frustrating. I get it. But... If prayer doesn't work when it comes to anxiety, then why did Paul, who is waiting on death row, who's pretty sure at any moment the cell gate is going to open and he's going to be dragged away to his death and these are the last words that he's going to get to write to people, why does he tell us to use prayer to help with anxiety? Could it be that there is a way to pray that has greater power over anxiety than you recognize? And let's, let's go back to what Paul wrote, okay? Because Paul talks about prayer, but he talks about it and gives prayer three different names. And we just kind of think they're all the same thing, but they're not. He says that there's prayer and petition and requests. And if you think about those words, prayer, and petitions, and requests, they're, they're all kind of deeper. They're all a bit more specific than, the, the, you know, prayer's kind of that general, hey, God, I, I need help. And then petition says, God, I, I need help with this, here's, here's more detail about what I need help with, but then there's this other level of, okay, God, here's my request, and we come up with this very defined and specific list of what we want from God. But maybe your prayers don't really progress that way, or maybe they haven't progressed that way, and so you find yourself, and maybe you just pray, hey, God, God, I, I, I need your help. I need you to jump in here and help me out, because I don't, I'm a, I'm a mess. And that's about as specific as it gets. And then maybe you get a little more detailed and you're able to petition him and say, God, help me with my anxiety. Stuart, help me to put a word to it. It's anxiety. I need you to help me with my anxiety. But here's the one that I think most of us miss. When we pray about anxiety that's going on, I think Paul is compelling us to be ultra-specific and state exactly what it is that we are anxious about and exactly what we think God could do to help us. Now, just kind of full disclosure um, about me and my prayer time because my family's here and so I know if I don't make this really clear, I'm gonna get the hypocrite comment when I get home. Um, when it comes to my prayer time, especially when it's mealtime or it's bedtime, uh, and I pray, I get super generic, okay? God, help us 
Thank you for our day. Help us tomorrow at work and at school. Help us have a better day tomorrow than we had today. And when we're traveling around, could you watch over us, keep us safe? Give us a good night's sleep tonight. Help us not wake up in the middle of the night. Amen. Okay? It's as specific as I get. But you see, peace is activated when our prayers move from general to specific. And and there's some reasons why. First of all, because specific prayers help you get at the root of the issue. You may not even know what it is that you're anxious about. And when you pray and you have a conversation with God, you can get there, okay? Remember, anxiety is a future fear. Anxiety is not over something that you see right now. It's a bunch of what ifs that are spinning around in your head and it's what if after what if after what if. And because it's a what if, it's fuzzy and it's foggy. And when it's fuzzy and foggy, it's hard to be super specific about what you're not sure is in the future. And so we end up being really general with God. God, I'm anxious about work. Can you just help me with that? That's not super specific, but most people don't realize there's a huge difference between saying to God, God, can you help me with with work because it's really stressful right now, and saying, God, um, I've got this big presentation that I've been working on for a long time, and um, I'm getting ready to present it really soon. And you know I'm not worried about losing my job. That's not really what's on the table here, but I am concerned that uh, my peers are not gonna get what I'm saying and that they're gonna kinda think that I'm stupid for even making a huge deal out of this whole thing, but I think it is a big deal and I guess, God, what I am most anxious about is what image other people are going to have of me when this whole thing is over. Okay, now, in just that conversation, you and God have something to work on together. And so instead of saying, hey God, could you help me with my marriage? My, my marriage is pretty stressful right now. It's, God, I, we're having some financial stuff going on in our marriage and, and I wanna be super clear because I'm not sure that I even know exactly what it is because we can still pay the bills and, and we're, we have enough money in the bank, but this isn't what I dreamed of. Like, I made promises to her. I wanted my spouse to have more than this. And I I promised that we would live in a better situation than we're in right now and we're not there and it's not what I hoped for and it's not what I dreamed of and I don't see anything that's gonna change in that and it is driving me nuts as I try and figure out how to kind of fill in the gap between what is reality and what was my dream and I don't see any way out of it and I am anxious about that. And now you and God have something that you can work on in your heart and in your soul. Another thought about getting specific with your prayers. Here's another reason for it. Specific prayers always involve other people in the answer. Now, Paul was writing from this prison where he was waiting on death row, and he wrote this letter to the churches in Philippi, but he also wrote other letters too, and in one of the letters that he wrote, he he urged the person at the end of the letter, hey, when you come to see me, could you bring John Mark with you? Could you bring him, please? Because he's so helpful in my ministry. And what Paul really meant was just having him around helps my anxiety. So could you get him here? Because that person is an answer to prayer for me. Now just think about what the dominant message 
has been for our society in the last few years. The dominant message that was out there three years ago was um, for your safety, stay away from each other. Okay? For your safety, don't get near each other. And even if you can see each other across the way, don't get any closer. And I realized that for a time that there, there was good in that messaging and that was helpful for us physically. But what happened is we had a hard time coming back from that. And we had a hard time coming back from that moment of staying away from each other and kind of viewing each other as the enemy of our physical condition And over time, that has had a huge toll on us mentally and emotionally, especially when you consider that specific prayers always involve other people in the answer. One last thing about specific prayers. Specific prayers can lead you to a specific passage of Scripture. And this is great. I I want you to pay attention to this one. This is huge. When you are full of anxiety, one of the things that you can do, one of the most powerful things that you can do is within your times of prayer, within your prayer life, to let scripture leak into your prayer life and that you would pray words of scripture to God in your prayer life and so that you would have scriptures that go along with the anxiety that you're feeling, okay, that you would have scriptures that you would say to God after you kind of tell God, here's exactly what's going on with me, here's the exact state of anxiety that I'm in, and God, I wanna pray this prayer that comes out of your word about what you can do for me. And those are incredible, powerful words for us. And maybe we want to write them down and, and we want to say them in our prayer time. And maybe you close your eyes and you bow your head when you're explaining to God all the stuff that's going on. But then you open your eyes back up to read the scripture off the paper. It's okay to open your eyes during prayer. I just want to clarify that in case you wondered. Or maybe it's writing them down on a card, putting them on a mirror. So it's the first thing you see when you wake up in the morning. It's the last thing you see before you go to bed. Maybe it's putting it on the dashboard of your car because before you even head out of the garage and head to work where all of your anxiety sits, you're gonna read this scripture and let it overwhelm your soul. Now, all sounds great, but some of you have a question running through your head right now, and that is, how am I supposed to find the scripture that fits the anxiety that I'm going through? I don't know the Bible like that. I don't have it all memorized. I don't know exactly how I would figure the, the right scripture to have as a time of prayer that I spend with God that's gonna deal with my anxiety. I'm gonna help you, okay? This is a trade secret, but I'm gonna give it to you, okay? I have four years of Bible college. I have two years of Greek within those four years, two years of taking Greek, a language that no longer exists anymore and no one's ever gonna speak, and I took two years of it. Fantastic. Graduate school, went to seminary, got a graduate degree. Here's the deal. To find the scripture that fits your anxiety, Google it. I'm serious. Go to the search line, type in whatever it is that you have anxiety about, however you want to form that very short sentence and you know how to do that, and then add two words at the end. Bible verse and Google will send you all kinds of Bible verses some of which work and some of which don't some of which apply and some of which don't it's Google but chances are there's one or two 
verses that are there that are fantastic and that will immediately start to help you connect with God in your anxiety. When I look back at my life, there have been some, um, some dark hours. And uh, I have wrestled with sleepless nights where the what-ifs kept on coming. And it was what-if, and what-if, and what-if. And time and time again, God has shown me how to move from anxiety to peace. And I find peace when I stand between God's goodness and the truth that he is in control. Because my belief precedes my behavior. And it doesn't mean that I'm never gonna be anxious and it doesn't mean that I'm never gonna have a sleepless night and it doesn't mean that my heart's not gonna ever beat too fast. But he will move me from anxiety to peace when I trust in his goodness and his control. And while I'm here, I can spend time with him in prayer. And I can let my prayers move from general to specific and he can help me unravel not only what it is that I am actually anxious about, but how and who can help me. In the midst of anxiety, no matter where your faith is, anxiety will find you. But it is God who will move you from anxiety to peace. Let me pray for all of us in that right now. Heavenly Father, God, every one of us in this room for different reasons and about different things know and feel anxiety. And there are moments that we have had where it has felt absolutely out of our control and it seems as though it is not going to leave. But God, would you forgive us for trying to grab the reins ourselves, Stepping away from the safety of your goodness and your control and deciding that we're not sure about the long story because the momentary anxiety is so stressful. But God, would you help us to trust in your goodness, to trust in your control, to come to you and talk to you specifically about exactly what we're feeling and exactly how you can help. God, we thank you that you would want us to come to you when we're scared and that you have promised to always be the same from the moment we met you until now. You are the same God, the same King, the same forgiver, the same one who loves us and wants to move us from anxiety to peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.